When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Phoebe Judge. The first book we read for this podcast was the first published novel by Agatha Christie, The Mysterious Affair at Styles. It came out a hundred years ago. She wrote it while volunteering in a hospital dispensary during World War I. Her sister dared her to write a novel where the reader had all the same clues as the private detective, and so she did. It was rejected by six publishers before it was finally bought in 1920 for 25 pounds. Agatha Christie was 30 years old. The New York Times Review at the time read, Though this may be the first published book of Miss Agatha Christie, she betrays the cunning of an old hand. The Murder on the Links was her third published novel, and according to the online Etymology Dictionary, it contains the first published usage of the phrase, the scene of the crime. As we finish the murder on the links today, we thought we'd take a little time to learn more about Agatha Christie, although she once said, people should be interested in books, not their authors. We spoke to her great-grandson, James Pritchard. He told us that his great-grandmother would sometimes read drafts of her new work aloud to the family. She would um, read what she'd written after dinner, um, and she'd read what she, she'd written that day. Um, and I think that must have been an experience. Um, famously, one of my grandmother's friends um, admitted to my great-grandmother that um, she used to read the end of the novels before she read the beginning. And, and one time she came to stay, and my great-grandmother said to her, well... This time you won't be able to do that because I'm only going to read you what I've written. So there isn't an end to read before. Um, And I just think, you know, the idea of sitting around a fire or whatever with my great-grandmother reading what she'd written that day might be one of life's seminal moments. James Pritchard remembers spending Christmases with Agatha Christie and going to stay with her in the summers. He was still a little boy when she died in 1976. And he says it was a very strange feeling to realise that her death was the lead story on the evening news. He says he's always kind of thought of her as two people in one. There was the person that we referred to in the family as Nima, which was my father's attempt at grandma uh, when he was little. Um, And, you know, I mean, she was obviously uh, my father's beloved uh, grandmother, um, my grandmother's mother. um, And, you know, I mean, she was talked about as you talk about those relations um, in, in that kind of way. And she was a very warm, kind, generous person. Um, then, obviously, you have the person I refer to as Agatha Christie, um, who is that kind of global literary icon. So, I mean, it was always a part of the conversation. I mean, Agatha Christie was always a, you know, a, a, a topic around the dinner table. I remember, I mean, when I was younger and I was working at HarperCollins, I remember having lunch with my grandmother and her berating me about um, an edition of, of one of the collections of short stories that she felt had all sorts of, of mistakes and issues in it. So it was, it was just part of natural discourse around, around our family table.
Well, what's the first book that you ever read of your great-grandmother's? Um, I actually remember it very vividly. It was, it was Death on the Nile, and um, I remember somehow kind of... I felt I'd kind of taken it... Um, I almost felt I'd stolen it um, because I obviously read it without my parents knowing it and maybe not sure that I was supposed to be reading it yet. Um, and I remember... Uh, reading it surreptitiously. And I particularly remember waking up early one morning trying to finish it so that I could put it back and no one would notice. Um, and and so that was my introduction, I guess. Um, I now know that no one would be upset with me, least of all members of my family, for reading my great-grandmother's books. But somehow I felt I was, I mean, maybe because I was eight or nine at the time, I felt I was I was maybe doing something I shouldn't have, um, which may be why I enjoyed it so much. It was so interesting when when I first started reading uh, the Mysterious Ferret Styles, and and that came out, and we the response that we got from listeners was one of such great comfort. There were so many people who wrote and said, I'm so happy that you're reading this book. This book makes me feel calm. And it's, a, it's, it's like an old friend. Why do you think, what, what effect did your great-grandmother have in, in the way that she was writing that produces this type of, of, of reassurance and calm? I think there's something in the way, um, I mean, I think there's something in the world that it is. It's a self-contained world. It probably now feels like a world that, is far removed from ours. But I I also think one of the... It, you know, it is bizarre, really, conceptually, that a book about murder um, and books about murder should, should reassure us. But I think it's that way that you kind of know at the end everything's going to be wrapped up and either Poirot or Marple or whoever is, is dealing with the, the individual case um, explains everything to you and kind of ties up the loose ends. Um, and, and you are you know, you are made to feel better. Today, James Pritchard oversees his great-grandmother's legacy as the CEO and chairperson of Agatha Christie Limited. We, I have this idea that everyone who must work with you, uh, work at Agatha Christie Limited, uh, you must all sit around smoking pipes in big leather chairs and with dark wood and uh, paneling and, and things like that. Is that really what, what it looks like there at the, at the headquarters? Uh, no, it certainly doesn't. And um, I don't think any of us are like that. Um, and I don't think anything we do now um, is like that. I think, I think one of the things that I think is most exciting is the fact that actually these stories lend themselves to very modern retellings and, and the adaptations we're doing for TV, for film, um, the plays we are putting on at the moment around the world um, don't feel like fusty relics. They feel like modern um, interpretations, modern adaptations. And I think that is something. I think one of the one of the great things about my grandmother is that the stories still work. They work with very modern feelings. The 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 things that lie at the heart of them, the passions, the jealousies, the the greed, the lust, the whatever, that is, they're all very modern failings, very modern feelings. And um, I think that is something that um, that makes them have a modern feel and, and makes them, even if, if set in period, be, be adaptable for modern audiences. I think what surprises people who are new to Christie's work is is the fact that she's actually very funny, but kind of funny in a contemporary way. Um, the things she says are, are pretty applicable even to today. 
Yeah, I mean, she's she's she has a very contemporary voice, um, and she definitely has a sense of humour. I agree. I think it is one of her most underestimated characteristics that 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 quiet chuckle you have in the middle of a book, um, and. Yeah, I I think it it works today as it as it worked then. Um, it's it's not gone away. What do you hope for her legacy? What do you want to see next for these works, for these books? As you say, they're being adapted in all different ways. And but what else for your great grandmother's very large body of work? I I have this thing that I don't think she quite gets the credit she deserves. Um, you know, she is, we think, the best-selling novelist of all time, and that's not the best-selling female novelist of all time. It's not the best-selling British novelist of all time. It's the best-selling novelist of all time. And I think, given that, she isn't given the credit either as a writer or actually as a trailblazing woman that um, she deserves. And I, I, I think one of the things I feel massively encouraged about at the moment is I think there are more serious people taking her seriously taking her work seriously than at any time in my life um and and that really pleases me and i think if i have a thing it would just be that actually she does get that credit the credit at the at the kind of you know the height of of writers in the in the english language globally universally that you know that she gets that credit and gets taken seriously by serious people Agatha Christie published 66 detective novels, 14 story collections, and the world's longest-running play, The Mousetrap. She sold billions of books. It's often said she's only outsold by Shakespeare and the Bible. Her final public appearance was in 1974 at the premiere of a film version of her novel Murder on the Orient Express. Albert Finney played Hercule Poirot. It was reported that Agatha Christie did like the movie, but felt, quote, Poirot's mustaches weren't luxurious enough. Thanks to James Pritchard and Agatha Christie Limited for letting us read her work to you, and thanks to all of you for listening. If you have questions for us or an idea for a future book, get in touch. We're Phoebe Mystery on Twitter and Phoebe Reads a Mystery on Instagram. Tomorrow, we'll start The Leavenworth Case by Anna Catherine Green. It's a novel, Agatha Christie said, inspired her. Radiotopia. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.